Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, folks. Al Martin here of Making Data Simple. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we are going to talk nothing about data. <laughs> as we often, we go all over the place, but today we're gonna to talk about diversity and inclusion. And in fact, if you're looking for a title, it's Words Matter, Driving Thoughtful Change Toward Inclusive Language and Technology, right? So there's a great external blog on this and we'll include that in the show notes, but that really turned us on to uh, the topics that we're gonna talk about here. And it's around words shaping our worldview, how we regard others, how it makes us feel, um, you know, look, I don't need to tell people listening that we've been through a pandemic, we got a health crisis, we, we've got some society issues as well, or social issues. So from a technology standpoint, it was incredibly important to us to, to hit this subject. For me, having developed AI, you know, bias is big in AI, and I've done a lot of studying around it. I work tools that detect bias in ML models. So I thought this was a good topic to hit in terms of you know, why words matter and what we're doing about it here at IBM. I'm not the expert, but I've got the experts here. I brought in two folks. One is Dell Davis-Jones, who is the IBM Vice President and the Distinguished Engineer in Global Technology Services. She's a leader in the GTS Architect community. She focused on the success of architects. She's modernized our eminence program and our Distinguished Engineering program. Secondly, I have Hainu Tran, who's a senior manager of content design and data and AI. Uh, she and her team are responsible for technical content for the, our products, which includes everything from words on the screen to detailed documentation that you get with a product or a platform. So Adele and Hainu, welcome to the show. I thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for inviting us, Al. Happy to be here. The first thing I got to say, Dale, we were talking about this before we began, you know, there, you know, you're important if you have a one word name like Oprah or a three person name, right? <laughs> like Dale Davis Jones. That's, that's like a rock star name for me. It's like <laughs> Al Martin. Oh, it's like, it's boring, but Dale Davis Jones. You so does high, does high new Tran count then because I it's would, hyphenated. You know, so is that a two word or a three uh, word name? You know, if you want me to give it to you, I knew I will, but it's, <laughs> it's hyphenated. You're better than me, but not good as Dale Davis Jones. That's I'm true. Sure. <laughs> so welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. So look, if you wouldn't mind, uh, and Dale, why don't you go first? Give me a little bit in your experience, your background. You know, just tell us your life story. Now, <laughs> you can keep it a little shorter than that, but give us your background and your experience if you wouldn't mind. A country of origin, Trinidad and Tobago. For those who have not heard of Trinidad and Tobago, it's a twin island republic in the uh, Caribbean, about both south southerly islands in the Caribbean and really close to uh, Venezuela. Born, raised there, came to school in the United uh, States, uh, New York, undergrad math, grad school, and also in New York in systems and controls. I've been at IBM for 29 years. Wow. <laughs> I would only plan to come here for one year. <laughs> I guess I, I liked it and stuck around. have had numbers of roles in IBM. I started in a systems group in hardware development engineering, 
moved into, did a stint in corporate audit in Europe. That was fun as a systems auditor. Didn't know anything about you know finance or controls, but did a massive um, to study up on it so I could get this international assignment. And I learned a tremendous amount that helped me and has helped me um, in my career numerous times. Uh, after systems group, I moved over to uh, work on an SAP project, um, loved it, decided I didn't want to do engineering and programming anymore. I wanted to become an SAP consultant, retrained, uh, certified in the consulting profession, went on into the services part of the business where I led a large number of consulting projects uh, for IBM and for clients in SAP, um, mastering the areas of master data management and workflow automation. And then fast forward to today, I am in global technology services, which is where I became an IBM distinguished engineer. I am the first black female to become an IBM distinguished engineer in IBM. Uh, That happened in 2008. And uh, since then I've led transformation teams and corporate technology, worked on really exciting projects um, around technical eminence, uh, different ways of modernizing our recognition programs and tools on the IBM cloud. And most recently in global technology services, I lead a team of distinguished engineers and architects uh, in driving some of the most significant uh, transformations for clients. And I also am the global leader for the IBM architect community. In the context of this podcast, I am a member of the Academy of Technology Leadership Team, under which we are running this initiative that we're talking about. Wow. So first, Black Female DE. All right. And that was 2008. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. You're blazing the trail. I try. Like <laughs> and from Trinidad, do you ever go back? I was there in December of last year. <laughs> have not been anywhere since then, um, pretty much because of COVID. But yes, I, I do go back. Uh, my mother is still there and some of my relatives. So born and raised there. Yes. Very nice. All right. Hi, New. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hi, New Tran. <laughs> okay. So. Hey, hey um, by the way, I know Hi, New well. You still running? I'm still running. Yes. I had hoped to get in a run today, but it didn't happen. That's but I will. I'm going to feel so good after this podcast. I'm going to go for a really good run after this. Fantastic. I'll do the same. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> let, let me give us some of your experience, if you would. Where I come from, I am uh, I am Chinese. My family is Chinese. And we were in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Um, actually, I was born in Vietnam. Uh, my family had been there for a generation or so. And as a result of the Vietnam War, we, you know, we needed to leave. And so uh, at the age of one, uh, my, you know, I came to this country and to San Francisco specifically as a refugee. And so, you know, our family uh, arrived here with really no knowledge of the land, the language, you know, with really hardly anything but what we had uh, with us. And so, you know, it's been a really interesting uh, journey for me to be where I am right now. Like even to this moment of being on this podcast, talking about words matter with you, Al, um, because I, you know, I came here, didn't know any of the language. I spoke uh, Chinese and Cantonese exclusively for my first few years. And even in kindergarten, I remember still being in ESL classes, you know, English as a second language. Um, so, you know, to have gone from that, you know, kind of these very humble origins and, you know, really not 
really having a very strong grasp of the language, I really ended up, of course, loving uh, English to the point where I studied English literature in college. And, uh, you know, that was kind of an interesting change, I think, in direction for me, because my family, especially being an immigrant family, you know, they were really vested and wanted me to be as, you know, kind of financially stable as possible and have job stability. And so the dream for me was to, you know, become a pharmacist. I'm not sure why that's kind of the dream, but, you know, that's somehow being a pharmacist, like represents all of that, you know, kind of stability, I think. Uh, but I, you know, I got to college, I was a chemistry major for a couple of years and it just, I just didn't love it, you know, and I really love English and I love literature. And that was something that I always enjoyed in high school. So I decided, you know, I'm going to be an English major. And my family was horrified, but, you know, I figured I will just figure out what that's going to look like. <laughs> and so, you know, I did it. I loved it. It was great. I had no idea what I was going to do afterward. I, you know, through some, I think, very serendipitous uh, circumstances, I ended up uh, at a job fair in college and uh, overheard somebody at the IBM booth talking about technical writing. And I, my ears perked up and I was like, what is that? What is technical writing? And so I learned more about what that is. I learned how to get myself ready for, you know, kind of a technical writing career, or at least to, you know, to be a strong candidate to get in the door. Uh, so I took some programming classes on top of my English uh, classes and ended up with an internship at IBM, which turned into a full-time job offer. And I've been here ever since. So I've been at IBM for 20 years and I started out as I said, you know, as an intern doing technical writing or what we call information development. And then I came back after I graduated and I was an information developer for a number of years and became a team lead. And then I became a first line manager. And now I'm a senior manager of a content design organization, uh, which is really the next phase of information development or tech writing, right? Like content design is really all about you know, not just the content that we're writing, but the content experience that we're designing and delivering to our clients as they use our products and platforms. And so, you know, really taking a lot more of a holistic view of how content plays an important part in the user experience. So, you know, for me to have, I think, come from these very humble origins, uh, you know, arriving here as a refugee, not knowing the language, becoming an English major, and now I'm leading an amazing organization of content designers, and that is our passion, right, is language, and, and using language to create meaning and provide clarity and to help our clients succeed with our products. Uh, and on top of that, to be involved in this uh, initiative with Dale and with some really amazing people in IBM focusing on inclusive language is just an amazing thing to me. Nice. All right. Well, two things come to mind now. One is if my English is at a, a level of three, yours is a 10. <laughs> I have no excuse. Uh, you chose the right career, at least from my standpoint. Secondly is not only is my name boring, uh, I think I need a better story as well <laughs> from both of you guys. All right. Fantastic. So we want to talk about Words Matter. And I think the official name of this initiative is modernize IT language to remove racial and cultural bias. But I think internally we refer to it as words matter, which I think is simpler for me. So that's what we'll go with. Let me ask a, an open-ended question to start. And any one of you can jump in. What's the context around this initiative? How did they get started and how did you guys get involved? This initiative that we'll call Words Matter, but um, you know, formerly known, as you said, as modernizing IT language, 
uh, to remove terms that promote uh, racial and cultural bias. The idea for it was brought forward by three IBM fellows who discovered that independently they were looking at the topic of IT uh, language and coming up with ways to make it more inclusive. And so they brought the problem to our Academy of Technology presidents and the IBM Academy of Technology, for those who are not familiar with it, is a society of IBM's leading thinkers and problem solvers who come together across organization boundaries and geographic boundaries to provide cross-industry technical leadership across the IBM worldwide community. So we, we look at problems to solve, we're action-oriented, we drive initiatives. And so the idea was, what better place to drive this uh, problem than through the academy? The president came to me and said, would you like to lead this initiative? We think you'd be perfect for it. Here's what it's about. And I was already looking at this. They asked me to drive it. And so I said, sure, why not? It's the right thing to do. The academy is the right place to drive it. Given I was looking for a place to contribute my expertise and my leadership and in support of our embrace call to action. And Embrace was IBM's response to what all of the tragic deaths um, we had been seeing in the Black community, the systemic racism, and uh, that came to a crescendo with the death of George Floyd. So the timing of, of this was the end of June. I was approached on the 26th of June, and on the 29th, the initiative was launched. We had a brainstorming session we ideated on what we wanted this to accomplish, who we needed to bring in to make it work. And then we did an open call with the goals of the initiative to change IT language in a way that would make it more inclusive. The outcomes we were looking to achieve, and we reached out to IBMers across um, the world, uh, academy members and non-academy members, and uh, more than 75 people responded saying that they would like to engage. And over time, others came in to work with us. So that's how it started. And that's what you know has got us to this point. And hi, New, were you one of those that to raise your hand said, I'm in on this or what? When I found out about the work that was happening around terminology changes in in IBM, I had not heard about this initiative because I think I found out about this and started getting myself involved as the initiative was forming at the IBM level. So, you know, in that other universe, while Dale is, you know, getting all these volunteers and she's asked to lead this effort, uh, on my own, I just sort of came across some news, really some updates that we're changing some of our terminology guidelines to be more inclusive. And I thought, oh my God, that's amazing. That is definitely something that we need to do and, and start changing the guidelines is really just the beginning, of course, because we need to make sure that we're communicating this across our teams. We need to drive an action plan. We need to actually make this a real thing. And so from my perspective, when I saw that some of these changes were happening, uh, I just personally decided that I was going to be the one to communicate that within my organization, which is data and AI. You know, I started talking with the executive leadership team. I started putting together some materials to communicate it out more broadly in our Slack channels. And through those communications, I got connected with Dale and with the initiative and realized that there is this broader initiative that's happening at the IBM level. And, that, and then I was invited to join that 
team. And so I'm not a member of the Academy of Technology, but I'm very happy and proud to be a part of this initiative team at the IBM level to really focus on communicating across the company and clarifying what we're doing, making decisions on, on how we're going to do these things and just contributing to that effort as, you know, as really as a much bigger movement than uh, what I was starting out focusing on. And, and so I want to add one thing to, um, to Hainu's comment. Um, she's not a member of the Academy and she's working on this initiative and many others who are not Academy members. And we're talking about inclusive IT language, but one of the great things for me about our Academy is that non-members and members alike, people at all levels in the organization with all different skill sets can come together to work on a problem associated with technology or technology for good that is meaningful to them and to IBM and at times to our clients. So I, I, you know, I just wanted to underline that, which you know, for me makes it even more exciting in some ways. Great, you know, I appreciate that. But I think we should state it outright. What's the objective or better yet, how do you define success? We want to ensure that we're not just having everyone randomly determining what the replacement terms should be for a number of reasons. One, we want to replace the terms with terms that are not inadvertently creating new kinds of biases, uh, making sure they translate well, for example. And um, we also wanted to ensure that once we were done, we had addressed the four key areas. One is having persons inside and outside of IBM understand what terms we were changing, why it was important to change those terms, the rationale, how those terms should be changed, and how do we ensure that the replacement terms were being uh, replaced consistently so we didn't go from one term that might have been promoting bias and offensive to a number of terms that created confusion in the IT world. We created a number of work streams and we said if we would be successful as an initiative team when we made it very clear to everyone what we're changing, what is the scope, how do you go about making those changes, and how do you ensure with standards bodies, with other groups, that those changes are being done consistently. And we recommended tools and techniques for implementing those changes so it would be easy to make that happen. You know, we thought about being thoughtful. We really wanted to make sure that those happen thoughtfully. But to answer your question on success, which we actually were going to come to at the end, success for us is really when the hearts and minds of the IBM uh, population and the world is in a place where inclusive language in IT becomes second nature, as easy as breathing. Non-inclusive language is the exception rather than the rule. Look, we're not going to change racism by only changing IT language, but it's an important start, an important step, right, in insidious um, racism. Look, it's doing our part, right? And exactly. you're focused on IT language, right? Is this effort, words matter, 
the focus is IT language, or is it broader than that? I got that right, though. IT language? It is IT language. And Hainu will tell you why changing the words are important. And I'll tell you why we put the focus around IT specifically, if that's okay. Please do. Why are we focusing on language, first of all? And then within that, why are we focusing on IT language? And I want to offer a quote from Desmond Tutu, actually, to start on this, which is, language is very powerful. Language does not describe reality. Language creates the reality that it describes. And so, you know, words matter, I think, is a very good encapsulation of that idea. Words have weight. Words can create meaning. And and they can also promote stereotypes that reinforce systemic bias, unconscious bias. Um, And so, you know, when we look at words and language and the use of metaphors Uh, you know, they create meaning and they create uh, mental models of how things work, whether or not they're true, right? They can create mental models of how we think things work. And when we do that, you know, then those words can uh, have a negative impact. They can impact how people feel, how they see themselves and how they see each other. And so I'll give you a non-IT example of a metaphor that can create harm. And uh, this is, you know, a very innocuous example, especially in its origin, which is black sheep, right? Like, oh, you're the black sheep of the family. And, you know, the origin of this term or this, this metaphor is really quite innocent. It's about farmers, you know, who prefer to have uh, white wool because it's easier to dye, right? So black wool is not as desirable. Uh, but, you know, that's evolved into this sort of everyday term about, you know, calling somebody a black sheep of the family. The issue with even this very, you know, kind of seemingly commonplace and, and innocent term is that it enforces the stereotype that black is bad, black is undesirable. And even the fact that it is commonplace, that we use it so easily is part of the problem, right? Like, so what Dale was just saying about, you know, these terms become insidious and that's where the harm comes from is because they are so insidious that they just become a part of the fabric of how we think about things without even realizing that that's how we're thinking about them. So as far as, you know, why are we focusing on IT language? um, I think Dale wants to share some thoughts on that. First of all, we have the opportunity to make a difference in an area that is less obvious than bills um, that are being passed, than code we're releasing um, in the call for code for racial justice. Those are very overt ways of making change. But the language, as Hainu said, that reinforces day in and day out in code, in content, that black is bad, white is good, uh, or that any group is demeaned or less than another is something that we have um, the purview to change. And as a technology company, we should change. That's a big part of it, right? We are the Academy of Technology. We tackle technical problems. And IT language is a problem that could go unaddressed if we don't thoughtfully look at it and address it. Why IT language only? Uh, Because only is um, an underestimation of what it takes to change this uh, type of language. It is not just a search and replace. It is not just a identification of a term and saying that 
uh, we should use this other term, you have to consider context. And so when we scoped this, we were challenged to do more than terms in IT. And we made a conscious and intentional decision to focus on terms in IT, uh, figure out uh, how we would approach it, how we would address it, and how we could make it sustainable, and then route the recommendations on the broader scope of workplace language that's outside of scope of IT, or language used in IT that's also used in other uh, industries, and really, really figure out how to do this well without creating breakage, because what you don't want to do is solve a problem and create another, right? If you change uh, terminology and code and you don't do it thoughtfully, you can break upstreams and you can break downstreams. I would imagine that's difficult, though. I mean, it seems easy, but, you know, you, I mean, everybody has bias, everybody. I mean, it's just the nature of the game. So how do you protect one bias or one, you know, some of this could be obvious, don't get me wrong. You make the change, but how do you know that you're doing it right? You're not creating another problem by whatever you're replacing it with. There's two aspects to it, right? And I'll let Hainu talk about the terminology guide, um, the terminology team and the governance that she and the team are are running around this. But I want to make sure I'm clear on uh, breakage. There's two aspects of breakage, right? The aspect that Hainu is going to talk about and the aspect that is really related to how code and products run. If you replace a term that has that is that promotes bias, let's call it master when used with slave, um, with another term, let's call it main in code, and some upstream program is looking for the term master, you've just broken that interface. So when I talk about breakage, I'm thinking of it in two levels, right? One is where you actually can break code, and the other is Um, when you inadvertently replace a term with something that doesn't translate well. The second aspect of it, um, we have people who are experts, linguists, terminologists, and a style counsel in IBM whose job is to make sure this happens, working with comms teams and others and translation teams. And what we did here is we reinforced them with a group that Hainu co-leads to ensure that we thoughtfully evaluate those terms. And Hainu, would you like to talk a little bit more about that aspect of it? If you change like one thing in a like brand of a product, I don't think people realize, you know, hopefully maybe a lot of the listeners probably realize they're probably in the software industry. They know that you change one line of code. It affects, you know, multiple lines, you know, millions and millions of lines of code. So when you're, there are decisions, deep decisions that go into rebranding for those reasons. If you're changing that, because usually the name is in a code. You guys are doing this across multiple words, many, many words across the the portfolio, across documentation, code alike. Can you give your answer here is to kind of talk to the massive scale of this and how you're handling that as well? Yeah, I think that's an excellent observation, Al. One of our big focus areas is articulating for ourselves the why, right? Like what is the rationale behind making these decisions on these terms, because not only do we need to be clear on that so that we can communicate that to other teams who need to make the changes, but we also need to clarify the rationale so that that can help us make additional decisions on other terms. And um, so there's that philosophical layer of how we go about this very nuanced, complex 
issue that we're dealing with. And then there's a tactical, right? And I think that's, those are the things that, that Dale's talking about and, and Al that you're hitting on is we're not just talking about one word. We're talking about multiple terms. We're talking about a, you know, a list of terms that we're continuing to go through and we'll continue to make decisions on. And we're talking about making these changes in code and documentation and education materials, marketing, et cetera, across the entire company. And indeed, and across the industry, because we're having, you know, cross industry conversations about this too. So we're not just making these decisions within an IBM bubble. We want to make sure that we're contributing to and also uh, influencing and aligning with uh, changes that are happening across the industry so that we really see this movement, uh, you know, grow and, and really have a, a real impact. You know, Dale had mentioned the things that we're doing to make decisions on additional terms. And what we've done is we've formed uh, what we're calling the Words Matter Terminology Review Board. And I'm co-leading that uh, with uh, the IBM English terminologist, whose name is Carla Quinn. And so she and I are both leading this team of a very diverse group of IBMers across the company, across the globe, really. You know, they were all consciously selected to represent diverse racial, cultural, geographical backgrounds, different kinds of expertise. We're making sure that we have, you know, strong SMEs involved in these conversations so that we can uh, ensure that we're looking at the technical accuracy of the terms that we're coming up with. And we've also created a process where basically IBMers can crowdsource identifying additional terms that we should consider. So, you know, we have our initial list of terms that we've already made decisions on, which we should talk about, right? Like whitelist and blacklist and slave and uh, master and slave. And in addition to that, we've invited the IBM community to, uh, to submit terms that they think we need to be reviewing as a review board. And then our review board uh, uses an agile process. We're continuously iterating and looking at the terms on this list and, and back to that point of you know, the really important task of articulating why, because, for example, if we look at the terms like whitelist and blacklist, uh, those are terms that we have already made decisions on that those are terms that we need to change. And so, uh, you know, whitelist essentially is a list of entities or systems or email addresses, whatever it is that are allowed in, right? Like whitelist means that whatever is on this list is given access. And a blacklist is the opposite. The blacklist is that, you know, the things, the entities on this list are blocked. They're not given access. And the implication there is that white is good and black is bad. And so when we made this decision around whitelist and blacklist, we also are articulating for ourselves, what is the reason for that change? It's because those terms are based on what we call in shorthand, the good, bad binary. Um, you know, so that's our guiding principle. Uh, you know, if a term is enforcing the bias that white is good and black is bad, then that's a term that should be changed. And so then we start to, you know, kind of build on our own understanding and our own reasons for why these terms are changed. And so as new terms come in, we can make decision that's not just based on kind of like how the term makes us feel, right? Like we're trying to come up with, I think, very objective reasons and criteria for deciding on these terms, because obviously changing a term is not something that can be taken lightly. You know, there's a lot of work that's involved in changing these, and there are a lot of implications. But the thing that we want to clarify is 
by explaining why whitelist and blacklist is a problem, we can also explain that you know, any word with black in it is not necessarily a problem, right? Like black or dark, those are not bad words. And I think, you know, we see a lot of terms that are submitted to us with these terms because they, I think there's a confusion about why we're making the changes that we're making. And so I think an important part of our mission on the terminology review board is to articulate the why, as well as defining the what, you know, what terms are we changing and what are the replacement terms? How should we use those terms? And so there's that kind of duality between you know, the philosophical approach here and then also the tactical approach. Makes sense. So what decisions that you haven't already been mentioned have been made? And like what other terms? Like you talk about master-slave, you talk about a whitelist, blacklist. Get any other examples? I think you know, the reason I asked that is because, you know, whether if you've been in the technology sector for quite a while, I think, you know, natural bias does kick in because if you've been dealing with hardware, you've heard the name master-slave forever, so much so that you don't even think anything about it. What other terms have you found and say, look, these are clear, biased, uh, non-appropriate, even racial terms that we need to remove from the literature? Black hat and um, white hats uh, in security. The terms have evolved to mean uh, malicious hackers, those who trade vulnerabilities in IT um, for monetary gain, usually to create, to do harm. And then the, the white hats are, which have come to mean ethical hackers, those who are the, the good guys, <laughs> the persons who hack uh, to test uh, whether there are vulnerabilities to allow companies to resolve those so that people's identities aren't stolen uh, so that phishing scams are used to capture people's login credentials for things like that reason. And now I, I said um, they've come to mean those terms because initially the term hacker did not have a connotation of being uh, negative. It was um, considered a useful, offensive security researcher who would go in and, and test for vulnerabilities and allow you to make sure that you did not have vulnerabilities in your code or in your systems. And it evolved over time to, to be separated into good and bad hackers. And black hat became the bad hackers and the white hats were the good hackers. And so working with SMEs, subject matter experts in our security organization and the words matter review team to determine what the appropriate replacement terms should be. So those are examples of another set of terms that are going to be replaced with terms that are neutral when it comes to, to bias. And it's really important, right, that, um, that that's understood clearly. I want to go back to master slave for a minute and underline um, an example. Master is biased when used with slave. So context matters. Master data management has no negative bias connotation. Therefore, master data management is not going to be changed, right? So master when used with master data management is fine. Mastery of a topic, as in, you know, I have a master's degree, 
or I'm a master inventor, which means that I am uh, someone who patents at a, with a level of mastery that is significant, is not going to be changed because does not in that context indicate that anybody is subordinate um, or a slave to them. And, and we made that distinction in our replacement terms. So context really matters. Back to your other question, that was a brilliant one, on the scope of this is you've got to make sure that you're not just searching replacing, but you're really considering the context. So the work that Hainu and the team are doing to ensure that we're providing the rationale and the context in which the terms should be changed is incredibly critical to the next step, which is actually implementing the change. Look, I think that's interesting. I preach to my team all the time about context. I mean, you can lay out a strategy and it's just words on a paper, but the real meat behind that strategy is context, makes it sink in, makes people understand, et cetera. I, I, you know, after hearing what you're saying there, Dale, is it's no different here uh, and equally uh, as important. Very good stuff. Let me ask you this, you know, kind of going back to the size, the massive scale of this, uh, I know scale itself has got to be a challenge, but what other challenges have you faced in making these changes? The replacement of the terms consistently. We are not the only technology company doing this. All of the major names in high tech are on this journey. And we are working with external standards bodies to work together to identify approaches to provide sharing context in which the terms should be replaced consistently. We are providing points of view that are influencing already the principles for creating inclusive language. We are also working with the open source community to create our own contribution of a glossary of our terms and replacement terms and the context and use cases in which they are being replaced so we can drive consistency and we don't have to have translators of replacement terms across the world. Those are, I would say, are the biggest challenges we're facing. And I would add to that, you know, um, I think like any good leader, I'm going to reframe the challenge as an opportunity. And I think that we have an opportunity here to really have open dialogue. And so I think that's another thing that is has been really great about this initiative and in that you know, we continue to have this ability and we're growing our ability to have open dialogue and, and open conversations. And Al, you know that I like to run, you know, you know, I'm a runner and, and you might recall that I talked with you before about running and mindfulness, which is something yeah. that I practice. And I've been thinking about this. One of the principles of mindfulness is the beginner's mind. And that's really coming into any situation with openness, curiosity, being ready to listen and learn. And I think that really applies to everything that we're doing here. Uh, for me personally, coming into this as an ally and learning how to really contribute to this effort of promoting social justice and combating racial inequality, a lot of what I've learned personally is to stop and listen and learn. And so I think that's another opportunity that we have here is for all of us to take that beginner's mind approach and that's going to help us continue to have 
uh, I think, a healthy, open dialogue and to allow people to come into these conversations with, you know, with their own kind of authentic identity, right? Like bringing our best selves to work. Hey, uh, I got two quick questions to finish up here. One is, how do you really know when you're done, though? You know, I asked to start what the success criteria is, but I mean, are you ever really done? In a word, no. <laughs> I'll be idealistic here, right? Um, in a perfect world, we'd be done when when my search engine uh, looks for terms that are biased and they find none. Uh, when it becomes as easy as breathing for persons to create content that is inclusive with the right AI uh, tools to help them. And when the act of doing that is not viewed as a burden, but as, uh, as a normal part of being a human being. We are looking to remove the language in an IT that makes people feel less, any people, right? Any words that do that, we were looking to change that. And I have to think that we know we're done when that uh, that language goes away and the means to create it is more difficult and the, the aptitude or the desire to create terms that are promoting bias um, is, is diminished. Like, I got to believe we got people out there that are listening that say, boy, I'd like to play a part in this effort or at least contribute in some way. Is that possible? I mean, is there any place they could go for more information at least? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Call for Code for Racial Justice um, has a site where developers and supporters can uh, register, uh, join Slack channels to contribute to creating and expanding code that is addressing uh, racial bias. And then this second is a Linux Foundation project will be starting up in the next uh, couple of weeks. And you can um, join the mailing list and say you'd like to contribute to the inclusive language initiative. So call for code racial justice is one option and the other um, where you can work with the code and the other option is through the Linux foundation work that's starting up. We will put all, everything you said in the show notes to make it okay. easier for folks. Okay. So we can do that afterwards. Fantastic. Look, good work. You know, one thing we didn't even get to talk about that's interesting to me, but you know, we'll save it for another time is how we're using AI to help find some of that that bias. Uh, but look, good work in modernizing IT language. I know it's tough work. It's a lot of work. So Godspeed on tackling the scale here. Folks that are in the tech world will know that one word change can be significant with code breakages, et cetera. It's a big, big deal. So, uh, and this is everybody doing their part. So kudos to you guys. Hey, before I let you go, would you play a really quick game with me? Sure. Really quick? <laughs> of course. All right. <laughs> This I know what's coming. <laughs> I got five simple questions for you. This is a would you rather. Either you're on one side or the other. You got to pick a side. And uh, I've never, I don't think I've done it with two people at the same time, but it'll be fun. We'll try it. You ready? Yes. Yes. All right. East Coast or West Coast? East Coast. West Coast, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I'd get you guys going against one. Dale is in Florida, if I got that right. Right, well, I'm Dale? in New York at the moment. <laughs> oh, New York at the moment. Hi, New is, is in our San Francisco. Valley, San Francisco. All right. Reading or writing? 
Ooh, Ooh that's hard. <laughs> that is a tough one. I'm going to have to go with the reading. Yeah, because I reading. Reading, both go reading. All right. Verbal communication or written communication for sharing ideas? Written. written. <laughs> no, that doesn't surprise me. All right. In today's pandemic world, uh, as, it, as we work from home, uh, are you in person or work from home? Work from home. Work from home. Really? All right. Last one. Pictures or words? Words. Can I say pictures with words? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll allow that to happen. I'll allow that to happen. You get both breaths of both worlds there. So Dale Davis Jones in High New Tran. Thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate this. It's good information. It's for a great cause. So thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you ideas. for inviting us. Um, this was fun. Yes. Oh. Thanks for having us on. It was really great to have a chance to talk about this with you. All my pleasure. Thank you so much. And for the listeners, it will put a lot of the information that we talked about in the show notes. And if you have comments, questions, concerns, anything, pretty much, you can reach me at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, folks. And I'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.